Father, thank you for your word. Let your word dwell in us richly. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come to teach us to apply your word to our lives. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, Tyler uh, preached on a very famous uh, passage, John 3.16. Right? So that got me thinking, gee, i got to preach in the next two weeks. What am I going to do? And I thought, wow, that's great. Let's do this summer series, and I don't know, whatever everybody else is planning to do, um, on like famous verses. And I, so I was mentioning that to Tyler. And so I began thinking about those different popular verses um, that, we, um, that we often look at. And, 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 oh, of course, we know that. It's in the Bible. And, uh, and, and so uh, the one that we're going to talk about this morning is a very quoted verse, not only by Christians, but also non-Christians. They know this by heart. It's real easy. And yet, I bet, I bet most of us could not find a chapter and verse, like 316, you know, the sign. We wouldn't know what Luke chapter 10, verse 39 is. We'd go, huh? What is that? But if we said, you know, the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, of course, love your neighbor as yourself. I know that. I was in Sunday school, but we wouldn't know the Bible reference as easily. But in the same way, it's probably one of the hardest ones to actually put into practice. So uh, it seems that um, we're going to look at that one. And the message this morning is, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to live a life of love that starts with letting the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. That's where it starts, right? That's what we read this morning in the call to worship. It begins with God loving on us. And as a result of that, by our faith, we respond to God's love in faith, by loving him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And as a result of that, what is supposed to manifest in our lives is a love for those around us. Being the neighbor we have always wanted to have in our life. I have a, I have a slide that kind of does this, and I, I use this in premarital counseling. If you can, Sebi, if you can... Find that diagram with the triangles and the arrows and, and stuff. There you go. So it starts with the Lord. And the big, bold, blue arrows is God's love. That's the reality. That's the real powerful thing is, is God's love for us. And it manifests us in that sort of looking like a cross, Jerusalem cross in the middle, is through Jesus Christ. He is love. He showed us what love is. And people responded to God's love through him. And so, in the same way, we do. And those arrows that go back up to the Lord is our weak attempt at responding to that love, uh, which by the Holy Spirit begins to get activated. And so that begins this love relationship with, b- between us and the Lord. And I love that passage in uh, 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we might be the children of God. 
And as we learn that, as we know that even though we don't deserve God's love at all, we realize that we are something worthwhile. He he sent his son, his only son for us. That means we matter to God. And so we realize that we're worth being loved and we understand what it means to be loved because we've been loved by God. And only then can we learn how to love one another and to how to love our neighbor. Okay, that's, that's how it is. So um, let's look at our passage this morning, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. This is a famous passage. It's mentioned many, many times throughout the scriptures. Paul quotes it twice. First John, or John himself, the gospel writer, the gospel writer of love, uh, uses it in a different way. He calls it the new commandment. In John chapter 13, he says, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will find, if you compared all the different um, accounts of this, you will discover that Luke stands out a little bit different. And my theory, and, and you know, there's all kinds of discussions about it, that it was a different event than the one that took place in Matthew and Mark. Because that one began by someone, a professor, coming to uh, Jesus and saying, what is the great command? What is the greatest commandment? If you were to sum up 613 laws of the, of the Torah, what would be the summation of that? Well, in this context, in Luke Another professor, and it says an expert in the law, and you might think a lawyer. You might know, not a lawyer in the normal sense that he was an expert in the civic law. He was an expert in the biblical law. He was, he was like a Ph.D., not a Juris Doctorate, but a Ph.D. in theology. He was like a Jewish Gordon Conwell professor. And so he's sitting there, and, and as in a typical rabbinical uh, Jewish uh, way, there were people there, and, and Jesus was there, and this man stood up. And he asked Jesus a question, a different question. How must I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds to this question not by answering it as he did in Matthew and Math, as it's recorded in Matthew and, and Mark, but he he responds by asking another question. Well, that was a very rabbinical thing to do. We call it in in the, in the rabbinical world it's called pilpol. It's a it's a way of teaching by not answering the question directly, by but by reflecting back another question to get the questioner to begin thinking about their real question. What is you really asking? And what do you think is the answer? And so Jesus asks him two questions. He says, um, okay, so what does it say? And how do you read this in the scriptures? And so the man, this, this professor begins to respond, and, and he realizes that uh, he doesn't want to look very uh, embarrassed. He doesn't want to be the doofus in the room, okay? Don't you love that word? He didn't want to be the doofus in the world, so he figures he's going to quote the, the famous Shema, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he quotes from this very obscure place in the book of Leviticus. I bet you all of you have read from the book of Leviticus this morning. It's probably your favorite book of the Bible. Somewhere between rashes and tattoos is this little verse that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, you couldn't hide it any better between rashes and tattoos. And yet it was there, the answer. And Jesus, I, I imagine the professor was, was, was pretty proud of himself. I got that, I got that right. And Jesus said, correct, a plus. Eh, maybe not. Maybe a C minus. You see, you answered correctly. Now go and do it. You see, it's not just about saying it. We say the right words, but are we doing what God has called us to do? 1 John chapter 3 Verse 18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. Jesus says, Now do it and you will live. There's the idea of living again. Eternal life. If we lead, understand the rest of the, 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 um, the information that we have in the Gospels and in, throughout the New Testament, we understand that that idea of inheriting life was that the idea that if we could perfectly love God and if we could perfectly love each other, other human beings, then we could have eternal life. But the reality is not a single one of us can do it except Jesus. Jesus perfectly loved God. And he perfectly loved human beings around him. And that's our only hope. Through Jesus being able to do what only he could do. So I, I grew up in Sunday school. I, I grew up in the church, congregational church down in Norwich, Connecticut. And uh, went started in kindergarten and went through all of those grades. And, um, and the message that I got, especially through the Good Samaritan, I don't remember, do you remember, um, what do we call those things, those slides, the um, projector, the, the, the fl film strip projector, the strip, you know, is it film, I don't know, whatever that thing was called, you know, and you'd show the pictures of Jesus and, you know, and, you know, and, and, and you're like, okay, let's get this story through, you know. And, and, but the message that I got on and on and on, especially through this, this classic Good Samaritan, this Sunday school lesson, was that if you are good enough, if you can just love your neighbor, if you just love your neighbor, you're a good Christian. That's the answer. Just love God generally, you know, have this warm feeling towards other human beings. Be nice. Just be nice to people, and you're good to go for heaven. That's what I was taught. Later on in high school, I was able to understand the gospel a little more broadly and realize that I could not do it, that I needed Jesus to love through me. I needed to trust his love to learn what that love is and to begin this relationship with him before I could ever begin to love other people around me. 
1 John 3.16, and we read some of that this morning. I didn't know. Thank you, Tyler, for picking that. This is how uh, we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Okay. I don't mean to get political, but I do mean to be prophetical. What in the world does love is love mean? I drive around Marblehead and I see these signs, and and, uh, especially during the pandemic, you're just, okay, I go for a walk, I got to get out of the house, you know. And there are these signs on my neighbor's lawn, and one of those sentences, love is love. What a ridiculous statement. What does that mean? Because if, if, if love is a subjective, defined thing, I imagine that even the most liberal person I could find a form of love that they would not tolerate. I could imagine forms of love that, that, that are out there that even the most liberal person would say, that's not love. I met a pastor years ago. This is, um, we're talking years ago, 20 years ago, I don't know. Um, a pastor um, who told me one day that there were 17 at that moment, 17 different sexual orientations. Oh no. And it was interesting because this, this pastor, she said to, said to me, Steve, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I even can, can tolerate or understand and, and think that right, that there are 17. And we began to share with her biblically that once you pull your anchor up from the anchor, from the solid rock of God's word, the word of truth, definition of love becomes subject to every wind and wave of teaching and the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So what is love? One of the ways that, that love your neighbor has been described in, in, in the Gospels, it's the summation of those last six words of, of the Ten Commandments. Listen to your mother. Don't shoot anybody. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't fudge on your taxes. Don't try to cover it up afterwards. And don't covet your neighbor's Tesla. But there's a positive command, and I put a list together of of positive commands. You could do that yourself at your homework today, is come up with your ways that you could love your neighbor. Greet your neighbor. Serve your neighbor. Watch out for their stuff, and when their garbage cans are still in the middle of the road after the trucks have gone by, pull them in. Get practical. Invite your neighbor to your home. Smile at your neighbor. Forgive them. For bless your neighbor. Be generous to them. Wave at them. Remember, uh, oh, anyway. I'm going. One of my fa- I love movies. So uh, one of the movies is uh, Truman Show. 
And you remember uh, that scene at the very beginning of the movie. He, he comes out of his house and, you know, of course the whole world is, is fake, right? But he comes out there and he's, good morning, good afternoon, good night, you know, wave at your neighbor. <laughs> Lend your neighbor stuff. Borrow stuff from your neighbor. Ask them to help you. Talk to them. Ask them questions. Listen to your neighbor. Witness the gospel in deed and in word. Do this and you will live. You will have the best life. You see, we don't do it because we're trying to earn God's salvation. If we're good at this, God, you'll let us into your heaven. No. You are a child of love of God because he loved you. And as a dearly loved child, loved by Christ, who gave himself up for you as a fragrant an offering and sacrifice of God, your love flows from that relationship, a life of love. Now, I'm not asking you to think more about this and say, wow, that wasn't a wonderful message about love. I want you to do something today. I want you to begin to do things. I want you to begin a movement, the love your neighbor movement. Come on. You know, the church today is divided, if you haven't noticed since the pandemic or before that, but it's becoming more real to us every day. We see that there's two churches in the world. There's the church of grace and there's the church of truth. And even though we're called the grace community we're probably one of these a grace of truth a church of truth uh, church and yet there is no only one church jesus came full of grace and truth known for love known for love as truth jesus uh, paul preaches it as truthing in love speaking the truth in love actually literally in the in the greek it says truthing in love God wants us to speak words of love, yes, but he wants us to act absolutely. We are to be known uh, more for what we do than what we say. Let that truth flow from the love that we act upon our neighbors. You see, racism, racism cannot exist if everyone loved your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting, even in, the, even in the book of Leviticus, in the Hebrew Scriptures, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33, at the bottom of that chapter that has the love your neighbor in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures, it says this, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners. At one time in Egypt, I am the Lord your God. So maybe we've got kind of a, a little bit of a handle on what that word love means. And, and the other part we need to look at is as yourself. You know, uh, in one of the passages that quotes um, quickly, love your neighbor, we have this other thing that you probably uh, know just as well. Do unto others as you would have them do 
unto you. Jesus illustrates this by particularly answering the professor's second question. Because uh, the question, he first question was what? How, who, how can we inherit eternal life? The second question is, who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't answer that question directly either. In fact, I think Jesus thought that that was the wrong question. The professor was trying to get out of a sticky situation, and so he just wanted Jesus to give him a general out by just giving him a general answer about who is my neighbor. He wanted to look righteous in front of all of his other peer professors. But Jesus is after so much more. So he tells a story with a twist. We call them a parable. A man was traveling from Boston to Marblehead. Along the way, a gang came upon him and beat him up. They took everything that he had that was of worth, and he left him bleeding and dying on the side of the road. And then came a pastor on his way to church, and he saw the man there, bleeding and dying on the side of the road. And he thought, you know, my role is preaching and teaching. You know, Acts chapter 6, it says that, that, that my role is the word of God in prayer. I really don't have time to take care. So it's somebody else's calling to take care of, of, this, of this poor man on the side of the road. And it says... He passes by on the opposite side of the road. Along comes a deacon. He's a layman. He's also as spiritual as the pastor. And he sees this man just like the pastor saw the man. He sees the man. And he began thinking, you know, I think we have some money in the deacon's fund that would help him out. Maybe we could get him to a support group for victims of, of crime. Maybe we could legislate more lighting on that area of the street and more policing. Uh-oh. Oh, and besides, I really don't want blood stains on the leather of my new SUV. Ouch. And he passes by on the other side. Now, in case that one hurt, that was actually on me. One day, my first church, I, was, uh, uh, I had this homeless guy that kept knocking on my door conveniently five minutes after the soup kitchen would close. Every time. It would be without fail. It's like, what time? Oh, here he comes. And so um, I was in the habit of not giving out money to homeless people, and so I thought, okay, I'd take them for a great nutritious meal at McDonald's. That was a joke. (laughs) One day, he came, and it was pouring rain, like we've had here in the last couple weeks. Pouring rain, and I'm like, ah, we're not walking. And so I went and got my car, and I drove up, And I looked at him, and I looked at my car, and I almost drove away. You see, I had my first brand new car. 
We had, we had rented a brand new Dodge Caravan, Grand Caravan though, also, and it smelled so good. And he smelled like dirt. And I almost didn't let him into my car. Back to the story. The pastor didn't take care of him. The deacon didn't come to him. And along comes a white supremacist. <gasps> yes, you had the same reaction that those, that those uh, disciples had that were listening to that story. <gasps> Samaritan, whites, same difference. They're heretics, they're wackos, they're cult members. Why do you add them to your story, Jesus? So this man comes and he sees, just like the pastor and the deacon, he sees them, and yet something's different. He says, I, he has pity, pity on him. He bends down, he bandages this man's uh, wounds with bandages with antiseptic and ointment. He puts him into his vehicle. He takes him to the hospital. He sits with him until he's conscious. And then he gives the administrator, his credit card, and says, bill me for his medical bills. And so the question still stands, who is my neighbor? And at Sunday school, I would be probably, I was probably, you know, one of those precocious kids, I guess, I don't know. And I raised my hand, who is my neighbor? I know who the neighbor is. It's the victim. We should be loving on that victim. Anytime we find a victim, we should, we should take care of that victim. Eh, Jesus says, wrong. You got it wrong. You see, because Jesus flipped the story around for, for us. He, he was telling the story to help the professor understand it. He wasn't the priest or the, or the, or the deacon or the Samaritan or all, the, all those guys. He was the victim himself. He was telling the story in a different way. Jesus was saying essentially to the professor, suppose you were walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. Suppose that you were accosted by bandits and they stripped you and they beat you and left you half dead on the side of the road. Now, the question is, what kind of neighbor would you like to have come down the road? Would you like a priest, a Levite, or this dude who has pity on you? Yes, I, I think I'd want to be the one. I, I would want to have a neighbor who would be able to stop and help me. A neighbor. It's interesting because if you look at the text, the professor never says the word Samaritan. He says the one who would have pity on him. And then Jesus repeats his same command again. Go and do likewise. I guess he really meant it. So, what if, this is our application this morning, what if Jesus were not making a general command to love your neighbor in general, 
but specifically? What if you were to love your literal neighbor? What if you were today to go outside your front door of your house, to look to the right, to the left, across the street diagonally, and said, those are my neighbors. I am going to love them today. What if Jesus is saying, love them? You know, uh, we moved here uh, in the middle of the pandemic. We got here and it started. <laughs> we go, oh, we're going to meet our neighbors. <laughs> Doors are shut. People have masks on. And like, okay. But one of the amazing things is we were convinced from the very beginning that there was no accident that we ended up where we were. We saw houses You can ask my wife how many houses we went to see uh, all over the North Shore. Some of them in wonderful neighborhoods, others in the middle of the woods. Hallelujah, that's where I grew up. I was comfortable in the woods. And God put us here. He put us on that street. He put us in a house that was owned by Christians, and we didn't know it. It We were put in a house that was owned by Christians who eventually became members of this church with us. We stood next to each other. Do you think that's an accident? Our neighbor next door came in, mentioning Garrett and, and Colleen, the Hamiltons. If you, they, I was pointing over here because that's usually where they sit. Um, <laughs> sorry, they're like, I'm not him. You know. um, and, and so, you know, the neighbor came in and he says, you know what? He says, uh, you got a really tough job ahead of you because the previous people were like the best neighbors. <laughs> so I was saying that for you, Garrett and uh, Colleen and, you know, kids, you were the best neighbors. And so I don't know what the Hamiltons did, but they prayed. <laughs> Lord, fill that. And they put us there. Okay, Lord. It wasn't an accident. It's not an accident where God has put you where you are right now. And you may have been there for years or you may have just got there. But it's no accident. Uh, One of the things that I teach, and when I teach evangelism, I talk about being sent. As a disciple, do you know that you have been sent? Wherever you are, you have been sent. Wherever your, your house is, you have been sent there to that neighborhood. If you, if you doubt that, look at Luke chapter 10, the previous part of that, where he sends out the 72. They were sent. And oh, by the way, that grumpy old guy across the street, that noisy blasting teen, sorry, Sebby, next door, he's there. They are there also on purpose. Acts chapter 17 says this, God marked out appointed times in history and boundaries so that your neighbors would seek him and neighbors and perhaps reach out for him and to find him. So first of all, we need to know we're sent. Second of all, we need to know, we need to begin to see our neighbors. Not just, oh, the house and the car and, oh, the yard, it needs a little more water, you know. Any of those things needs to be mowed, you know. 
But do you really see your neighbor? Do you know their names? Do you know their children? Do you know their grandchildren, their jobs, their hobbies, their sports? Do you know if they like gardening? Or are they more uh, people who like to be on the boat every weekend? Um, uh, What are their hopes and dreams? What are their values and their fears? What about their spiritual life? So the point is, don't pass by. As a pastor for years, I st- we stayed in one place for 21 years. And we're like, Lord, when we got there, you know, we've been sent here. We're going to love on our neighbors. And next thing you know, we are getting in our car and jetting out of our driveway to another church meeting. Year after year after year. Passing by my neighbors. Oh, we waved. We did. We, that's about as, how much we loved them. We waved at them. But if they were to ask, if you were to ask them, what is a Christian? Christian is someone who goes to church, goes to church meetings, goes to church all the time. That's what a Christian is. That's all they knew from my witness, even as a pastor. One day I I got convicted about this, and so I was working on the front yard, and I thought, you know, I, I really need to talk to Jack across the street. And so I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, help me find a, a way to talk to Jack. I kid you not, within 10 minutes, he pulled into my driveway. Hey, Steve. I'm like, I was shocked. God answered that prayer faster than any other prayer I've ever seen. What does that mean to me? God loves Jack. He is willing to answer prayers on behalf of Jack more than he's willing to answer my prayers because he wants Jack to know him. And so, pray for your neighbors. He loves our neighbors too. So I I went to the directory. So I'm really trying to be practical today. Sorry, you're not going to get away. (laughs) And I saw 65 street addresses in our church directory. Now, imagine, imagine if 50 of those streets in Marblehead had persons living on those streets that were loving their neighbors as they would want their neighbors to love them. It's time, folks, to get out of the cocoon. The pandemic, I don't know, maybe is over. We need to do something different I minister to churches and pastors and I encourage them, don't go back and do the same thing you did before the pandemic. Change the paradigm. Listen to the scriptures. Ask the Holy Spirit. Find out what God wants you to do as a church, as a pastor. Find out as a people what he wants you to do, how he wants you to act in a way that's more Christ-loving and God-glorifying. Okay, so here, here's your uh, uh, homework. Real practical. Take a piece of paper. Write a square in the middle of it. That's your house. And then write eight squares around them. Front of you, behind you, right, left, angle, 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 angle. You'll come up with eight blocks around that one block. Now fill them in with the names of your neighbors. I can't do it. Of course, six families have, have moved in, in, in less than uh, three months or something. But I got some work to do. And you have, probably have some work too. So let's do that together. 
Let's find out who our neighbors. Let's see them first by their names and then more and more as we get to interact with them more to do that. So you can begin then to begin to pray for them and ask God how to connect with your neighbors because we don't want to pass them by anymore. One more story about my friend Todd, who was my next-door neighbor. I've never seen a person neighbor better than he did. We got each other's phone numbers, and he texted me every week. Every week. It might have been weird, but if you knew Todd, you wouldn't think of it as weird. He's just, hey, how's it going? How's it going? Hey. You know? Um, He didn't like um, leftovers. Guess where all those leftovers went? He'd take a picture of them. You want some? I'd say yes, and next thing you know, he's at my front door. Hey, do you have this tool? Yeah, I've got that tool. He's at my front door. And I'd be like, hey, I need your truck to go get some, some wood chips. Yeah, take my truck. And, you know, and I, I made sure. I was like, I've got to be a good neighbor. I'm going to sweep it out. There's not going to be any dirt in the thing. He goes, man, anytime you want to use my truck, use my truck, because it's cleaner than when I let you have it. I have this example I didn't expect. He's not a believer. And yet, he's the guy who knew everybody in the neighborhood. I want to be a Todd in Jesus' name. I hope you want to be one too. Because Jesus says, go and do. Go and do likewise. Do this and live. Get ready for the adventure of your life. The most exciting life awaits when we begin to love our neighbors in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for your word. Activated in our lives today, help us to do what you are calling us to, not what the preacher's telling us to do, but what you want us to do, because we know it's even better than that. Help us put feet on, our, on the word today. Help us give our hearts to what you called us to today. And help us, Father, to love, live a life of love. In Jesus' name, amen.